You are now listening to the Fire Diaries. I'm really excited about this episode because I'm doing something that I've been wanting to do for a while. I'm talking to doctors about how queer people interact with their health and I just had the conversation before recording this and I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. Hi everyone, welcome to the Fridays. I'm so excited to have you guys. Okay, so please introduce yourself, Amanda. Um, my name is Amanda Ahimi and I am a psychotherapist and an architecture photographer. Um, yeah, I don't okay. know what else to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Dr. Chichi. Hey, hey, I'm Dr. Chidema Wokoro. I'm a medical doctor. A DJ and an entrepreneur. Mado. Okay. <laughs> um, hi everyone. My name is Emile Okoka. I'm a fifth year medical student. I'm also a physiologist and a researcher. Good to be here. Yeah, so um we're hey. missing one thing. You guys didn't say your pronouns. So Amanda, what are your pronouns? Um she and her. Okay, Dr. Chichi. Um I'm she and her as well. Elide. Um she and her. Right. So, um, the topic basically is how queer people interact with their health. And so I have like some questions, but we're just going to discuss them like, you know, guidelines and so, you know, move the conversation. So the first one is, have you ever made a connection with anyone at work on the basis of their queerness? Like you see someone and you just know that they're queer and you guys connect on that somehow? No, no, not for me. Bad, but true. Maybe <laughs> oh. <laughs> the queer person in the spaces I'm in, so nah, nah. But wait, let me go to that. Nah, no, not for <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Ew. Oh, for me, that happens a lot. I wow. won't say it's not like they'll come up to me. No, it's not like they'll come up to me. I'm like, hey, I'm queer. Oh, I'm queer too. Queer hoggies now. Oh. But that thing, you know what? Gaydar is real. You guys, you guys know. So yeah. you, you know, meet with someone, they just really, really like you. And your mm-hmm. gaydar is going off. And anytime you guys pass each other in the hallway, you have that, no, that like, hey, brother, hey, sister, you know, that kind of thing. I have that open. It just makes you feel a bit more seen. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. it's our thing. Especially like someone in Nigeria, where you always have to be conscious of the way you're perceived. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm masculine presenting. So I have to be, you know, I, you can't, I'm a human. No matter how confident you get, you have that back of your mind. But seeing yeah. someone else in that space just helps you just feel more, more safe, more okay, I guess. Anyway, has that happened to you? Uh, I have an experience that's similar to the Kuchichi. Like I meet people and then, like she said, Giza is real. So um, I get the vibe that they are queer. And we don't have to say a word or we don't have to exchange words. We just, I see the person, I'm like, this person is probably queer. And so it's just about Giza, actually. Nothing, nothing more intense than that. I've not had like actual long conversations with people. So I've met people that I think are queer and just vibe like that. 
Yeah, so on this note of um, thinking about people being queer or the gayer, so this is something. Oh. Are gayers actually real? Like, do we really have real? <laughs> it's real. Well, I think I think there's a little bit of a um, stereotype. Yeah, specific on that too, you know, like yeah. I person dresses and all of that. Yeah. Maybe we will, like eighty percent of the time accurate or even less than that sometimes. But to an extent I think it's 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 true to a particular extent, yeah. Well it's still stereotype. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean yeah. like the same way you can see some people and just be like, Oh, this person looks Yoruba or ah, this person looks mm-hmm. this person looks uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I think that having a guitar is just a normal thing mm-hmm. with trying to understand a person or to just to know who they are first of all to know if are they safe enough to approach or is this who might this mm-hmm. person actually just be out of curiosity so yeah the gay dad does exist i think everything has a radar and gay dad is, is one of them not always accurate yeah. but it does exist okay yeah yeah i agree and I think that we do actually dress some way and we do actually like want to signal people. I'm admitting mm-hmm. Isha. That's what I do. <laughs> but yeah, so <laughs> the next question well, is, do you think that queer people are health conscious? Um, I think that queer people talk a lot about health, especially mental health. Um, but when it comes to like taking action to their health, they have like, they're not exactly, um, how do I put it, health seeking, number one. And then number two, oh, I was going to make two points. There are barriers for those that are now health, health seeking, that like, would talk about their health and want to get help for it. The ones that are um, then experience barriers that, that makes it difficult for them to either stay committed to um, whatever um, healthy behavior they're engaged in, whether it's going to a doctor or going to a therapist or going to the other So the therapy, there are some therapy people who talk about health a lot and, and mental health, but then then there are those who just talk about it and they sit down in it, and then there are those who talk about it and try to do something about it, and then they meet these barriers that are like both systemic and individual because some people have barriers that are unique to their own situation. So. Then they meet all these barriers that then make it difficult for them to want to continue to look for help or to even stay in a space that, that would help to promote their health. So that's what I feel. Wait, just before Dr. Chichi goes on, I won't talk about this barrier. So what would you call this barrier? Like, can you give an example or two examples of the barrier? Yeah. First is being safe enough to talk to the person that you're... Um, that's treating you about your sexuality, about, okay, if you go to a hospital and the doctor asks you, are you sexually active? And that for some reason ends up becoming something like, oh, just try to use condoms in your, and you know, like, in your head, you, you want to say, oh, I'm a lesbian, but you can't say that because you don't know how to put this into yet. So it's just having spaces that are safe enough for them to, for them to express themselves and not just safe, but then you might have a place where it's safe for you to go and talk about yourself and be open about your queerness, but then the problem then becomes that the person understands how to provide me the assistance that I need um, in the process. Yeah. Thank you. So, Dr. Chichi, what um, do you think that queer people are health conscious? Yeah, I think we're as health conscious as the next person. 
in terms of mental health, there are so many other barriers that we have to overcome that, you know, cisgender people don't have to. I know how many layers I had to kind of unpack and unpeel before I got to the point where I was so open with myself that I could be proactive about my mental health in relation to my um, queerness. So in terms of that, yeah, we need to be more proactive. We have so many more to do, so much more to do. So we need to, you know, just create more spaces where it's okay to talk about queer-related mental health issues. Then when it comes to sexual health, yeah, there are a lot of differences when it comes to cisgender people in terms of sexual health. But um, because of that stigma, because of the societal beliefs and limitations that we have, we're not as open with queer-specific sexual health practices, safe sexual health practices that we need to, you know, be free to talk about, be free to teach other people about, you know? So I think the main problem is just that stigma. Overcoming the stigma and educating people like, look, it's not just about, oh, because, you know, for example, you're a lesbian, you don't need a condom or whatever. There are so many more risks associated with, you know, queer, queer sexual health that we need to talk about. I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but yeah, the stigma is a problem and we just need to be more proactive, I think. Yes, I agree with you. And it's interesting that you actually mentioned sexual health because I was going to ask you directly of physical health, like generally, but yeah, sexual health. I've heard things like, yeah. oh, do lesbians actually need condoms and all of that, but we actually do. Um, I can speak I, on that, so we do. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, I don't know how graphic I can be. I'll just try to be general. Be graphic. But um, I should be graphic. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now my heart is beating though. <laughs> okay, so um, for example now, most women use vibrators, right? Most women use vibrators, but quite people also use sex toys in general, not the, just their own, but that of others. So you can use your partner's own. So you have to also think about things like how many people are they using these sex toys with? How are they cleaning their sex toys? How are they storing their sex toys? So in cases where you can't really be, oh my God, I have to clean this and do this and do this, you can use a condom. It's okay to use a condom with your strap or with your vibrator. There's nothing wrong with that. Some people say that, oh, by the time you start sterilizing your toy and whatever, whatever, it takes away the, the mojo, it takes away the drive or whatever. But then sexual health is important because Lesbian women, for example, at a higher risk of having bacterial vaginosis, while gay men at a higher risk of getting certain STIs. So isn't it as important for us to protect ourselves, even if it's, you know, it doesn't have to be all the time, but condoms will help in times where you can't really do, do the most. You can't sterilize and do all those other things. Yeah, I think that we should, uh, we should normalize it more. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't think I've even thought of it as deeply like that. So thank you for sharing. Um, Elie, what, what do you think about queer people being conscious of their health? Do you think queer people are conscious of their health? Um, yes, I think um, queer people are conscious just as much as the next person. Um, I don't think there's much difference. The problem comes in in actual taking action in terms of accessing healthcare. Um, there are a lot of reluctance in going to the hospital, 
or family care centers to assess healthcare. And it's quite understandable there. Like Dr. Titi said, there's a lot of unpacking to be done. Like clerking is a very, very intrusive process. And there are a lot of questions that queer people are not going to be comfortable to talk about. And then it's, it's important because then what's the point of actually going if you're not going to be sure, if you're not going to be really open with your doctor. And you can't blame them because are you sure oh, yeah, the person you're going to see is actually um, not homophobic, quote unquote. So I think they are conscious. Yes, I think they are as conscious as the next person. But I do not think queer people access healthcare as much as the next person. And yes, one we talk about the social discrimination and injustice to queer people. It's going to restrict them from actually going to the hospital. And so they won't. And then Apart from that, some people have a higher chance of being unemployed. Um, if you're unemployed, you can't get access to um, work-related um, uh, health insurance. So that's one. There are higher risks of being homeless. And you can see that all this relates to the fact that they do not have the finances to actually um, access healthcare. And not, as much as we have a lot of general hospitals, in terms of convenience, it's not as much as you, it's more, you can't compare to private hospitals. And so, the mere fact that you are worried about your doctor's um, perceiveness of your sexuality stops a lot of people from accessing um, healthcare. And like um, Paul mentioned, people talk a lot about mental health, which is relatable, like living in a country, especially in Nigeria, whereby um, you face homophobia almost every day. Um, I was reading a study that said people are like two times more likely to commit suicide or something. So. Yes, the mental health aspect, we, we talk a lot about mental health and we have um, organizations that are giving a lot of free therapies. And I think that probably covers that aspect. But in terms of um, physical, actual physical health, um, I think yeah, yeah, there are a lot of work to do, even though I think we need to actually carry out the research to assess, um, to assess people's behavior towards health. Then in terms of um, sexual health, like Dr. Titi said, there are a lot of misconceptions about lesbians and condoms and sex toys. And this, this exposes to a lot, a lot and lot of STDs and STIs. So to, to answer your question, yes, because people are conscious. I don't think there's much difference. So many days, I don't think it will be significant. But in terms of actual access to healthcare for your regular checkups, there are a lot of barriers. And I think that's where the problem is. Okay, that's interesting. And it's also interesting that you mentioned research. And I want to ask you one question, particularly if you were to do research on queer people and health, what would your topic be? Oh, I can't come up with a topic just like that, but it's probably something <laughs> in the line of um, <laughs> uh, it's probably something in the line of queer um LGBT Nigerians and their behavior towards uh, healthcare, physical and mental health. So if you talk about how many times do they do they get um do they do checkups in a year? I mean, um, are they on any particular insurance? They have a family doctor. They have someone that they can talk to. Do they do checkups before they move to another partner or every six, six months? Um, do they see a therapist? Do they have someone they can talk to? Basically, yeah. That, that is basically what we to about. It's actually very interesting, and I would like to read something like that. So my next question, all of you said, you know, basically the same thing of how there are barriers to healthcare. How do you think that we could help, would I say, pushing back these barriers? What would change? Like, what do you think could be 
positive steps that we could take to, you know, change the norm, what is right now. So, Amanda. Um, so, I'm in a windy place. I'm outside of the place where I am because now it's a good place to have this conversation in there because there are a lot of people listening. So, please, if the wind sound gets a bit troubling, just let me know. I'm using earphones as well. So, um, what can we do to help with the barriers technically? Well, the first step would be education and visibility. That is, and I think this is the part where the media does play a role in it. The more we educate people about what it means to be fair and we talk about it openly, more and more people will be, become more comfortable with the idea of it, or even just the reality of it, that there are fair people here. So the first thing is education, representation in the media. So while that is happening, I also think that um, even amongst the French people, there are people, members that are, how do I put it, people who are privileged, they have the opportunity, they have power, maybe in the political space, medical space, or educational space. It's for them to now start to utilize that power. It would be good if people know where they can go to get um, physical health care. The moment they have access to that, that's one path created. Even if it's just within the community, just create like a nice directory of um, places where people can get help, both physical and mental, um, and they will be taken care of. And that whoever it is that decides that they would want to take such a bold step should do the work of educating the people they work with, let them know that this is a quite safe space, um, that we'll be treating people that present this way in the world, and they need to be conscious of it. You educate them about what they need to know, how to handle situations, and you know, make that one of your core values. If you don't know if you're going to be inclusive, be inclusive, and, and educate people around you to also be inclusive as well. So once you're in this space, your biases, you leave them at the door. When you get here, this is what you have to do. So, um, so you educate the people you work with and you try to let people know, like, okay, you can come here and get help. So for me, I think that is one practical solution. And I'm offering it because I'm, that's one thing I know that helps with my practice. Um, I had a, a client to prayer and then they let me know, like, there are quite people who are looking for places where they can do get therapy and they would not be um, disrespected or dismissed or misunderstood. And I was like, okay, sure, I can just always put a post about it that's your page on Instagram. And honestly, it did increase the number of people who have reached out for mental health care from their practice. And yeah, some of them translated to actual clients, and some of them just ended up being referrals to referrals to referrals. So yeah, to let people know, if you're a fair person and you have the power to offer a service, and it doesn't always have to be in marketing, because I know whenever we do these things, it's always a thing of, Tell me what your business is, and you have to probably setting the product that that is external of the self. So more internal, like oh, do you want life coaching? Do you want a financial advisory? Do you want couples counseling? No, I don't do couples counseling anymore. There are a lot of people looking for that. Do you want um, family planning information? I am a third person, and um, or rather, we are open to the um taking care of questions. You don't have to identify yourself. There may not be exactly to come out and be like, well, I'm sorry, yeah. So if you if you don't feel comfortable with being that visible, you can always just say, my, this place is safe. 
sisters, master, don't make it about you, just make it about the school. Like we expect you to come and we take care here because we are, you know, marketing in the way that we can find the feeling. So for me, that's that's one practical step that we think of um, in terms of helping with the barrier. So, yeah, yeah, that's it. Thank you. It was very detailed of you, and I appreciate that. Dr. Chichi. Yeah, I agree with what Amanda was saying. Um, I think um, safe spaces are very important. Spaces where um, queer people can feel safe and feel understood. Spaces where they can talk about the issues specific to um, queer lives and know that that person can empathize with them fully. I'll use myself as an example. I have a lot of queer people that I treat you know, that I clerk, that I, you know, take care of on a regular basis. There are certain things that they tell me that I know for a fact they won't tell any other doctor. They just walk into a hospital. Do you get? So having that will make such a difference. Just knowing that there's that place that you can go to attend to this or this or that. And it shouldn't be so hard because there are queer people everywhere. There are queer doctors, there are queer lawyers, there are queer bankers, there are queer financial advisors, whatever. Queer people are everywhere. We've been here since time. We've been here before Jesus. But so I think, <laughs> I think if we have these safe spaces, it's going to attract people. So for example, I'll use healthcare. If I know, if I create a space where, you know, it goes out that, okay, I gave healthcare to queer individuals. Other queer doctors will be drawn to me. Oh, what can I do? Oh, can I do this? Oh, I have this in mind. And before you know it, there's a network of queer doctors. I'm just using that as one example. So having that in different areas, different specialties, in different industries, we really create that structure that we need and just make us feel more, more seen, right? I think visibility in terms of the way we carry ourselves, the way we carry ourselves, I think that is important as well. For example, when I go to the hospital, I wear my scrubs or I'm masculine presenting my corporate, I wear my rainbow, you know, ID and everything. And there are times where studs come either as patients or as um, either as patients or relatives of patients. And just seeing maybe that alone can help. I know that not because, oh, I feel I'm, I'm anything, but because I know how much that helped me. I know how much when I walk into a restaurant and I have those, you know, we're human beings, those little insecurities that still come that you have to consciously and mindfully, you know, address. But the moment I see another queer person being themselves, being proud, being loud, I just feel more comfortable. And that can apply to all these things, including health. Oh, yeah. My heart. Um, <laughs> anyway, you next. Uh, okay, um, I'll color with um, abolishment of um, legal discrimination um, against access to healthcare, employment, and housing. But then we know the country we are in, so I would just rather go to factual things that we can actually do. But before I continue, I want to say that the, 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 the major issue is. Um, um, abolish, to abolish the discrimination against LGBT people in Nigeria. I think that's our number one problem and access, improve access to healthcare for LGBT people. But, well, we have a problem. So I want to start by saying first, we should, um, 
educate healthcare providers about um, LGBT health, I think is very important. I know we have queer doctors, queer nurses, but I know we also have um, doctors who are allies and who can help. So I think we need to increase the way um, CARES did a program for writers, I think, once on how to write about LGBT issues. I think we can have a program for doctors um, so they can understand some of the issues that LGBT people face and case they come across a patient who is queer, they can know how to navigate that. I think that's something that we can do. Then research, I actually think before you can address this um, the problem, you should know the extent of the problem. So I think we could carry out a research, where are they having difficulties? Um, where, where exactly is the problem? Ask them what you can do to increase access to healthcare. I think we can actually carry out the research um, for LGBT people and get this information and translate it into actually doing other things. Then I think awareness. I know TED has an health, um, did I say department? But I don't know when they have their clinic days. I don't know what kind of services they offer. I don't know if they have an actual doctor. I don't know if they can prescribe. So I think we need awareness, not just TED, other NGOs. Like, what are they doing in terms of health? I think we need more awareness about it. And funding, it's going to be a bad idea if we can get investors to fund hospitals. I don't think there's any law in Nigeria against um, building of hospitals that can that cater to the healthcare of LGBT people or you say um, minorities or something. So I think we can fund. It doesn't have to be a very very large, a very very big hospital. It's just a two or three. That's a flat or something where you can have doctors that are alternating and are coming. I think it's something that we do would, would go a very 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 long way. Um, I've said the part about educating doctors, both LGBT doctors and not LGBT doctors. As far as we have people that are willing to learn, willing to um, help, I think we can do that. We can fund, like I said, we should hire to set. And um, basically, the major thing is um, awareness. What do we have on ground right now? And um, how can you assess it? And that's why I said research should actually be one of the first things we actually do. What is the problem? However, what percentage of people are not getting healthcare? What percentage are getting? The ones that are getting, what form of healthcare are they actually getting? And like um, Amanda said, in most times when we have all these gardens, we need to branch out to other aspects. Talk about health, talk about financial management, talk about other things. Those gadgets that come together, I think those are the places that we should have in this, this discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. Um, I really like the research aspect of your input, because I, you're right, we can't, you know, start anything without knowing the extent of the problem and research is very important. So yeah, and then Dr. Chuchi, I think that there's an idea somewhere in something you were saying, you were talking about how, you know, queer doctors might want to reach out and find out how they can help. And, you know, that could be a network of own. I think that that's something you could actually start mm. share you know yes no uh-uh. yeah right Why you uh-huh. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, no. like doctors on the call and you know it could be something bigger so anyways i just wanted to say that yeah and aside that that's is watch all. this space <laughs> i'm here for it <laughs> so thank you thank you all for coming to this 
meeting. It was really, really nice talking to you. And I learned a lot. I learned so much. And I hope that the people listening to this can say something, can hold on to something after listening to this yeah. conversation. So, bye. 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 Nice Thanks for having me, man. Bye. 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 bye.